Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we do continue our sermon series called Only Jesus, based on Luke chapter 10, which Pastor Don started for us last week. And this sermon series, which is also our theme for the upcoming year at Christ Our King, is designed to focus us in a world full of difficulties and distractions on what truly matters, which is, of course, only Jesus. As Acts chapter 4 says, there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Last week, we focused on the God right in front of you. As we heard Jesus sending out his 72 disciples and they were proclaiming, the kingdom of God has come near you. In other words, the reign and rule of the Messiah has arrived. Jesus has come. Repent and believe in the gospel and then go and share. Pastor Don reminded us that just as people back then were using their own yardsticks to measure up Jesus, today we may do the same. But thanks be to God, the only measurement that he uses for you is the measurement of the cross the great value that he has given to you in the death and resurrection of the God right in front of you, Jesus Christ. Today we will hear a familiar parable as we heard in our gospel reading today, and we'll be considering how Jesus is also the God for you. But before we get there, I'd like us to hear the reason why Jesus is telling this parable in the first place. As Jesus is with his disciples, and they've just returned from their travels, a lawyer, that's an expert of the law of Moses, stood up. And Luke shares that this lawyer intended to put Jesus to the test. In other words, he wanted to put Jesus on trial. And so he asks Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We should notice that this lawyer, this expert of the law, is asking what we would call a justification question. That is, how are we justified before God? How do we receive eternal life? How is it we are saved? Well, if you think back to our catechism days or our new member instruction classes, I'm sure all of us can recall just how important that question is. And so we would probably expect that Jesus would say something about believing in him or to anticipate what he was about to accomplish by his death on the cross and his being raised for eternal life or or trusting that we are saved by grace through faith in him. Those are some good justification responses. But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't say any of that. Instead of justification, Jesus stays on the topic of sanctification. That is, our lives of holiness here on earth. And by doing so, Jesus subtly shifts the ground underneath the lawyer's feet. And instead of remaining the one on trial, Jesus is now putting the lawyer to the test. He asks him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Well, this is actually a layup for the lawyer. 
He would have been taught this answer as a good and faithful Jewish man ever since he was a child, uh, sitting on his father's knee. He answers with a perfect summation of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus responds, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now again, Jesus' words here may surprise us. Is Jesus saying that eternal life is possible by us obeying the law? By doing good works? Is Jesus the one who's confusing justification and sanctification? Well, not exactly. To be clear, if the lawyer, or if any of us, could actually keep those commandments perfectly, to love God always, to love our neighbor always, well then, yes, we could inherit eternal life by our good works. But the problem is we can't. We are sinful by our very nature. Therefore, we will always fall short of keeping these commandments. We don't always love God as we ought to. And we don't always love our neighbor as ourself. But herein lies the problem for this lawyer. He came to Jesus that day thinking he could keep the law. And that's why he presumed to stand up and test Jesus rather than the other way around. And what's more, he presumed that he could earn eternal life by his keeping of the law. But, but, but Jesus is about to show him is just how high that standard of God's law actually is. Many people have wondered, well, why does the lawyer go on to ask a second question? Shouldn't he leave well enough alone? He answered Jesus' cross-examination. Jesus even praised him for his answer. He could have just walked away. But Luke actually tells us the reason why he asks his next question. The lawyer wanted and maybe even needed to justify himself. Like I said, Jesus had shifted the, the ground under his feet, and the lawyer probably was aware of that. He wanted to be the one testing Jesus to use his yardstick to see if Jesus measured up to his standard of, of who he thought Jesus should be. But what the lawyer found out was that Jesus was going to measure him by the very same law that this man thought he could keep. And so the lawyer wanted to justify himself, and he says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You see, if loving God and loving your neighbor is the standard for holy living, but in reality we can't help but fall short of that standard, well then you're left with only one of two options. Either you admit that you fall short and repent, or the other move is to try to limit the scope of the law, limit the scope of that standard just a little bit so that you can make it more manageable. To lower the bar of God's holy law just a little bit. And you see, that's what the lawyer is trying to do. He is trying to make the high demands of God's perfect and holy law just a little bit more manageable. I'm sure he thought that, well, if my neighbors are only the people around me who I like and who like me, and I get along with them, well, then surely I am able to love a person like that as myself. 
But that's why Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. To blow out of the water this kind of misconception of who our neighbor actually is. To deny this lawyer's attempt at his self-justification. To keep him and to keep us from ever lowering the bar of God's law. And we're familiar with this parable, aren't we? A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He, he fell among robbers who beat him and left him for dead. And, and a priest by chance passed by, but, but he didn't want to risk being made unclean for his service in the temple. And then a Levite passed by, but he was too busy to bother with a messy situation like a broken and dying man. But then a Samaritan passed by. He's a person from, who the, from the Jews' point of view was a half-breed. He was an idol-worshipping, culturally backwards, pagan mongrel who had just as much contempt for the Jews as Jews had for the Samaritans. But he was the one, upon seeing this broken man, had compassion. And he acted as the merciful neighbor. He went to the man. He bound up his wounds. He set him on his animal. He, he paid an innkeeper to look after him, and he promised to return. It would have shocked the lawyer, as well as everyone else listening, to hear of such mercy from someone like a Samaritan. And yet, undeniably, they knew that this is what it means to be a neighbor. The lawyer knew it. And so Jesus said, you go and do likewise. The high standard of the law can never be lowered. And so we are called to live like this and love like this. There is no situation where we do not help others. There is no loophole in terms of how far we are to go for another person's well-being. We are to give of ourselves sacrificially to the extent we have to, to make sure that everyone that God has given around us, not just the people we like, but everyone, is taken care of. This is the law. And if we are to earn eternal life by keeping it, then we must keep this in perfection. But what happens when we don't? What happens when we can't? What happens when we realize that we can't earn eternal life because we are sinful and unclean and far from being a perfect neighbor? Well, this is exactly the not-so-subtle message that Jesus was sending to the lawyer that day. Because surely the lawyer would have walked away realizing that he could no longer justify himself in front of Jesus. And the same is true for us today. When we attempt to come to Jesus, hands full of our own supposed good works, our merits for why he should love us, trying to justify ourselves in his sight, then we will only ever walk away knowing that we have fallen short, far short of ever being able to do that. Instead, it's when we come to Jesus, hands empty, fully aware of our sin, despairing of our good works, knowing that we are in desperate need of his justification, not ours, then we will walk away 
with hearts and lives that are full. I've heard so many sermons, and I'm sure you've heard them too, that conclude that the person that you are meant to be in the parable of the Good Samaritan is the Good Samaritan. The sermon that says you are meant to go out and be a good neighbor to everyone in this world, to hear this parable as a moralistic example for your life, that when Jesus says go and do likewise, you are to go right now and get busy serving your neighbor. Now, to be absolutely clear, we are meant to serve our neighbor. But if this is all that you hear today, a moralistic example then you will walk away just as empty as the lawyer did. Instead, the key to understanding this passage is to see what Jesus was doing with and for the lawyer and realize that Jesus is doing the same for you. Thomas Long, a well-known professor of, of, of teaching sermons, actually, gave a sermon on this text And he says that in telling this parable, Jesus is not intending to put the lawyer in the position of the Good Samaritan, but rather he is intending to throw the lawyer in the ditch beside Jericho Road, not doing violence to him per se, but instead using this parable to disclose the lawyer's true condition. In other words, we are not meant to identify with the Good Samaritan but rather with the man who is beaten and left for dead. The lawyer was sinful and unjustifiable before Jesus, and so are we. But the question remains then, well then, who is, if we're not meant to see ourselves as the Good Samaritan, then who is? Well, this brings us back to our theme, which is only Jesus, who is the God for you. You see, you must remember that Jesus in Luke chapter 10 is currently on the move. He is journeying toward Jerusalem. And Jesus has been on his mission ever since his incarnation and his birth. Jesus entered our world. Jesus entered our lives here on earth. And he is the one who could keep the law perfectly. He is the perfect neighbor. He is our good Samaritan. We were broken and left for dead in our sins with everyone else just passing us by. But it was Jesus who saw us in our condition and had compassion on us. And so out of heaven, he stooped down in all humility to care for you and for me. Jesus binds up your wounds of sin healing you by the blood he was willing to shed for your sake. And he carries you toward eternal life with him, carrying your cross on his back. Jesus provides for you and restores you, sparing no expense for you. He gives you a gift worth more than any gold or silver in the world, the gift of his own life for you. He gave of himself sacrificially to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then he rose again. And he ascended into heaven and he promises to come back. Jesus is your good Samaritan. And he did everything for you as your perfect neighbor. Jesus is the God for you. 
We don't hear this parable and automatically assume that we can just go out and and be good Samaritans. No, we hear this parable and realize that we are the ones in desperate need of a good Samaritan. Again, Thomas Long says, The real answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is that you have no idea who your neighbor is until you yourself realize how needy you are. And then in that need, receive. In that need, receive the unexpected grace of being neighbored by God. When you are neighbored by God, when you have received that unexpected grace, when you are picked up and forgiven and restored by the God for you, then and only then can you go out and do likewise. Then and only then can you see who your neighbor truly is. There are a couple good quotes here. Robert Frost once said, Good fences make good neighbors. Have you heard that one? Likewise, C.W. Vandenberg said, To love the whole world for me is no chore. My only real problems, the neighbor next door. That's what this world struggles with, isn't it? It's what we struggle with. To see the person whom God has given me, that, that not that theoretical person out there somewhere, but the sinful and imperfect person whom God has placed in my life, to see that person as my neighbor, all the while remembering that I am just as sinful and imperfect as well. And God has given this person to me as a person whom I am to love and to serve. But for the one who has been neighbored by Jesus, for the one who has been neighbored by the God for you, it changes everything. It takes your self-justification off the table. It takes your good enoughs off the table. Instead, you know that you are the one who has been lifted from the ditch and carried in the arms of divine mercy and grace and in gratitude, you can't help but to show that same kind of mercy and grace to a whole world that is now full of your neighbors. In the only name by which we are saved, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.